You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Get ready to explore the wild of Northern Rockies adventures. Imagine yourself surrounded by pristine waters, towering mountains, and the thrill of landing trophy fish like the majestic Arctic grayling, the elusive bull trout, or the classic rainbow trout. With over 40 years' experience guiding anglers through these breathtaking landscapes, Daniel's family-operated trips promise not just a fishing journey, but an adventure of a lifetime. From the convenience of Vancouver, BC, dive into an all-inclusive experience that caters to every detail of your trip so you can focus on the thrill of the hookup. Take a look for yourself at northernrockiesadventures.com for an exclusive premium BC fly-in fly fishing trip. Before we get rolling here today, let's hear from our sponsor. Bear Vault has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry this season. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. Proper food storage is one key to an epic trip in the backcountry. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash bear vault to check out this must-have solution for the outdoors now. You support this podcast and your safety this season by clicking through that link right now. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three Two, one. How's it going, Shelby? Dave, I'm so excited to talk to you. This show is so fun. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. This is, uh, I mean, podcasting, I think for you, you know, I mean, you've got some awards in podcasting, which I want to hear about, but also just, I feel like you're the same thing as me. You probably love podcasting, even if you didn't have one. Would you be listening to podcasts all the time? I think I would just be talking to people at coffee shops all the time. I like just love people. You know, some people are animal people. I love animals, but I'm a people person. Like I just love talking to people and understanding why they do what they do and how they got there. And I'm specifically interested in people who've taken the path less traveled, like those that are kind of outliers that people say, oh, you're crazy for doing that. But it's really cool whatever they do and they've done it anyway. And I'm specifically interested in adventures and people who just have used the outdoors as a catalyst to improve their lives or have made a living in the outdoors. Right, right. Yeah. So you've heard some on your podcast. Let's, let's start there real quick on just uh, talk about the podcast, the name of it, and then what you cover on, on your podcast. Yeah. So I should probably go back. Ever since I was a little girl, I was obsessed with adventure. And I went to journalism school in Atlanta, Georgia at Emory. And I had a teacher who was like, go get a job at your local newspaper. And I live in San Diego. So my local newspaper was a bunch of beach community newspapers. And I wanted to cover adventurers who were like surfing or biking across the world or doing crazy things. So I had this adventure column in a newspaper starting at age 19 in 1999. 
And then I've kind of figured out a way to sort of do this. Many years later, I took a very circuitous route. But in 2016, I started this podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living. And the goal is like to interview people who are sailing across the country, world, sorry, not the country, sailing across the world, running across the country, you know, doing these wild things as a way to improve their lives and inspire others. And I've been interviewing these types of people for magazines like Outside and ESPN, but I just love conversations. And I was having conversations with really interesting people. And showcasing that conversation in a 500-word magazine article wasn't doing it. Like I interviewed the guy, um, they call him the Iceman, Wim Hof, and he can he has a record for submerging himself in ice longest, and he's kind of this breath guru. But I had an early interview with him, and like, I don't know, the article in the Outside Magazine was just short and not exactly what I wanted it to be. And I was like, I wish that whole interview with Wim could live, and then podcasting came around. And let's be honest, as a journalist and a journalism major, I didn't actually love writing stories. <laughs> I just loved interviewing people. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, the- wow. So you didn't like write- You didn't like ri- the writing. I hated the- writing. I hated oh, the writing man. part. I just wrote a book. It was so hard. Um, but I loved the interviewing part. I just I could get a story out of anybody. And I also just love conversations. I feel like you. I learn better. You know, I, I'm not a very good learner when it's Zoom. But I can learn in the classroom, like if someone's interacting with me and telling me a story about it. Um, So yeah, that's how I learned the best. That's how I, so yeah, so I started this podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living in 2016, because I was a little stuck and I either had to get another real job or I don't know, magazines were dying. Everybody's like, maybe a podcast. And so I started it kind of like a business. At the time, I was also reporting on the out the business of the outdoor sports industry. So I was interviewing the CEOs and executives from every major surf and outdoor company. And it was a great job, but I learned a lot about business. I just had never started a business on my own. And at the same time I wanted to start the podcast, someone's like, you should take this accelerator business course. It's only 12 weeks. Day one, you write your business plan. And then on the last day of class, 12 weeks later, you have to present a tangible business to a team of investors. And I was like, well, maybe I could try it with my podcast. So I had to have three shows up and running. And I used Wild Ideas Worth Living as my test pilot. And I wrote down my goals to sell to REI Co-op. And I I, REI, I pitched REI in those first 12 weeks. And they're like, uh, yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. You seem great, but we're not really in the <laughs> podcast game. And then I went ahead and launched it, got other sponsors, interviewed some fascinating people. Even Wim Hof was one of my early interviewees. And yeah, six months later, I contacted REI and they were actually getting into the podcast game. They were pretty early. They're pretty smart. And so we did a partnership agreement together, stayed together for a few years, and then they bought the podcast outright in 2020 and I still host it every week. So wow, yeah, it's cool. Well, that is cool. I was curious about that, how the how the REI, you know, how that worked with, uh, because obviously REI, I, I go there all the time, you know, we, we were just there. It's a great company, the co-op and all that. But yeah, so maybe we'll talk about that. I, I love, you know, your story because it's similar to mine. I mean, when I was getting into this and in kind of the online space, I was doing a lot of blogging and oh, I just didn't cool. like it. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. like, oh man, I'm going to do the Philly, I'm going to do all this stuff. And I just realized, wow, it didn't, I wasn't loving it. And as soon as I started the podcast in 2017, it was the same thing. I was like, wow, okay, this is actually resonating with people. And we just kept, you know, doubling down. Is that, how's that look for you? Like you mentioned the business, you get into this, 
you sell it to REI. Do you love the business end or does REI take that or how does that, how does all that work? Because that's not easy for a lot of people. It was hard. I mean, when I started it, I'd invest in myself. And like, that was the hardest part. I had to throw down money to like, I wasn't about to, I'm not a very tech savvy person. And learning how to use just the handy recorder I'm recording on right now, <laughs> I like had to hire somebody to teach me how to use it because I was so intimidated by it. And then yeah. the editing, I knew I wasn't going to be able to figure that all out within 12 weeks and get guests and do marketing and a business plan and keep my day job, which I was right. doing journalism and PR and marketing for side clients. I still sometimes do it, but I had to hire someone. So I hired a producer who kind of could do all this and help me get going. And could put my show back then. It was like a little bit of rocket science to put your show yeah. up, up on a platform. And so I hired someone, which meant I had to get sponsors. And so I decided to focus on what I was good at. I'm good at sales. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at hosting shows and getting guests. And um, Ari, I didn't come on board full time until 2020. So I was kind of doing most of it for many years, but I found producers that I would hire and train and some, you know, came with a ton of skills. And I went through a few producers, but really the second one I hired stayed with me. And now REI has hired her to host the show. So right now I have a really good setup. Do I like the business part of podcasting? I love pitching. I don't know why, but like, it's just fun for me. I love working with brands and providing them something that's meaningful for them, but working with them because I think brands, I used to be like, a little bit elitist about how I told stories and I could only be a journalist. But you know what? Like the game has changed and I don't think it matters how your story gets into the world. I think there's so many good stories. They just need to get in the world. And we've now democratized journalism where anybody can tell stories through social media, through their websites, through podcasting. So I don't know, but, but the partnership with REI right now, it's great. It, we've, we've kind of gone through a bunch of cycles. But yeah, right now I'm I'm basically the host and that's my job and it's awesome. And I don't do the rest of it. No. Right. You don't, <laughs> you don't. So so talk no. about that. So what is your what is your I'm always interested in the the daily thing because we all have all these different, you know, daily, weekly stuff. What does it look like? Do you come in, do you just have, you know, tons of interviews, research? How does that look? Yeah. I mean often we'll we'll kind of work together to pick the guests for the year. And, you know, they bring guests to the table, our production team who's based in Oregon brings guests to the table. And then of course I get pitched every day on guests and, you know, I used to pick all the guests and now I've kind of interviewed most of the people I've really wanted to interview, but they bring some fascinating people to me. And then I research them and come up with questions and then show up to a microphone and interview them. And then right. it comes out. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's it. So you pretty much, and, and during a week, are you doing, multiple interviews or do you have a day where you focus on that? You know, I don't. I try to, I try, I'm trying right now to do one day a week where I do my interviews. It doesn't always work for my whole team. And so I'm part of a team. So I got to be accommodating to them as well. Right now, I came out with a book that is really based on these like lessons I learned from the podcast. So oh, wow. years since age 19, being an adventure journalist, I then ran women's marketing and PR at Vans. And then I did international sales and marketing at Vans and went back into journalism for several years, consulted with brands like Prana, Body Glove, Reef, like all sorts of surf brands, the International Surfing Association. Then I kind of was writing for this business site that reports on the businesses of the industry. I did tons of jobs. I was consulted with Nike, like all sorts of things. But, but when I went 
and did the podcast in 2016, I shuttered everything else down. And I was like, I'm going in full time. It was the first thing I did that made me feel this like electric ping, like a bolt of lightning. And it lit me up. And I just was like, this is it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give myself a full year. And if I fail, then I fail. But if I succeed, I'm going to go for it. And I've never really done that in business. And it was a huge risk. And that was my wild idea, you know, starting the podcast about other people's wild ideas. And the cool thing about the podcast is I would I would listen to other people who had to do all the same things I did just in different formats, but they had to face fear. They had to deal with imposter syndrome. They had to deal with what happens when everything goes wrong, what to do when everybody told them they're crazy, how to lose, how to like, what to do when they actually failed, what to do when they actually succeeded. And it was so helpful for me to keep me focused and staying in the game and pursuing my own wild idea. And it's, I've tried a lot of things in life and not all of them were easy. Many times I failed or hit roadblocks, but the signs to keep going when I'd started this podcast were so clear. And it was like the first time I really stopped and paid attention. And I was like, you know what? Event-. And I always had in, in mind, ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to write a book. And I tried to write a memoir three different times. And I actually wrote a full memoir, but I'm like, I'm only like, at the time I was like 25, then I was 35. And I was like, this is, no, I don't have enough life experience. But, you know, then I started doing presentations about lessons I learned from the podcast and these themes kept reoccurring. And no one had written, there was a lot of guidebooks out in the adventure space and a lot of books about adventure, but none really explored how to go out and pursue an adventure and make it happen. And there were like no, and I read a lot of self-help books too, and there are no self-help books that talked about using the outdoors to change your life. A lot of them are talking about psychedelics or just meditating all day, which by the way, you're, I'm a fly fishing podcast. And let's be honest, like half of fishing is really just, it tricks you into meditating. Like you're half the time you're meditating and it's really powerful. So I wanted to do something that was a little self-help, a little bit guidebook, and also adventure story. And I wanted to combine these three things I loved and a little memoir into a book um, called Will to Wild about my story and why you should go pursue an adventure and how to do it, whether it's a big adventure or a small adventure. And then I wanted to talk about these things that kept coming up, like what to do when everything goes wrong, which even Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, says it's not an adventure until something goes wrong. And then I wanted to talk about like fear and failure and humor and the power of laughing at ourselves when it hits the fan, so to say. And then what to do when you finish, because I don't know about you, but I interview a lot of adventurers that do these grand trips or grand adventures. And then afterwards, it's not all peaches and ice cream. Like a lot of times they hit roadblocks or they're depressed or there's some sort of fatigue. And I'm kind of in that now, like the book came out in June, I hit the ground at like full speed, 100 miles an hour, didn't stop, also did a TEDx talk, my first TED talk ever that same week. And I was like on a stage pretty much every single week for like June and then some of July. And now I'm starting to come down and I'm like, oh no, what's next? And I have to take my own lessons from the book, which is to give yourself grace. So, so right now my day to day is a little all over the place to answer your question. It's right. But you got a book, which is huge. I got a book and then I'm doing yeah. some consulting. So people call me all the time and they're like, Shelby, either help me with my podcast or 
help me pursue my wild idea. And I was just doing it for free and <laughs> going to a lot of coffee with people. And uh, my partner, Johnny, he was like, Shelby, stop, like just charge for it. Because one, you give good advice. And two, you're more likely to pay attention when you pay someone else and show up. And That's so right. now it's just a little bit of a business. Yep. I make it affordable though. It's easy. Good, good. Well, well, we'll we'll get links to all this in the show notes for sure. Your book and everything, the TEDx talk, and I think, you know, I think this is a good question. You know, for somebody here, you know, you talked about the science to keep going. If if somebody's listening here and they're on the cusp, they've really been wanting to go in on their thing. And I know everybody's different, right? You can't. What would you tell somebody that they're they're like they feel like they want to quit the day job and go all in? What what's yeah. your advice there? You know, I, I, all of a sudden I told people I stop. I've stopped telling people to quit their day job because I think sometimes when you quit your day job, it can be really stressful, like more stressful than just staying and pursuing your wild idea on the side. So you have to be real honest with everybody comes from a different circumstance in life and you have to be real honest with yourself about where you are, whether you have kids or a family or not. Like at the time I quit my job, I didn't have anything. I was very free. So I didn't have a lot to lose and other people aren't. And, um, you know, my, my partner says you should do what you love, but don't expect to get paid for it. And I think in 2023, it's really hard to get paid to do what you love a hundred percent. Oh, you think it is. So even though with all these opportunities, the internet, everything, it's still hard to get paid for, for doing what you love. I don't think it's easy. No, I think it used to be a little bit easier, but I don't think it's easy. No, I don't. I think it's like a misconception that it's easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Let's be honest. That's true. And um, it takes work and it takes sacrifice. And I know a lot of really successful podcasters and they work all the time. And I didn't want that life. So right. I sold my podcast to REI and I'm much happier. Um, but I get the best of both worlds. But I think if if you're listening and you're like, I don't know what to do, I say you do what all hikers do when they're lost. And that is to look for the trail signs. And that could mean a lot of things. I think signs are really personal. And if you're an adventurer or a fly fisher woman or man, you're probably pretty sensitive and intuitive. And so signs will come to you in only the language you speak. And when you see them, they'll either point you to where you should keep going, whether you should quit your job or you're going to hit roadblocks and it's going to be painful. And, you know, my book opens with like, I continued to hit roadblocks by not quitting my job. Like I wet my bed at age 29, which was so embarrassing, but I I was suffering from so much anxiety that I took like a herbal supplement and I was dream I was dreaming of going surfing and put my wetsuit on in the parking lot and I started going in the bathroom and I realized I was in my bed. Oh, wow. I wasn't drunk and yeah. I was like, "Okay, this is a sign." And then I was stuck in traffic and literally like a semi truck overturned on one of the busiest freeways in Los Angeles. And I couldn't move. And I was like, okay, I need to stop running and like surfing until my arms can't move or swimming in the open ocean. And I need to get help and stop because I'm literally stuck in life. And I was 29. So, you know, 29 year old, 29 is a big transition year for lots of young women. Um, But I think if you're stuck, you just need to pay attention and you need to start doing things that bring you joy and doubling down on that, but also giving yourself some grace. A lot of times when we're stuck, 
we don't know what to do, we beat ourselves up. And that's like the last thing you should do. You have to give yourself love and grace to be able to see the signs and look for the next thing. And you have to be quiet. And that's really hard for a lot of people. Right, right. Quiet just to just to take it in and like think about where like where that new idea or I find that sometimes where you're out running or you're you're away from all the electronics and also the best ideas come there. Is that is that kind of what you mean about being quiet? Yeah, I think the best ideas happen when you're quiet, when you're still and when for me, when you're outside. Sometimes they come in the shower, but my best ideas often come while I'm hiking, while I'm running. Or when I'm surfing, when I don't have a pen and paper and it's super inconvenient. <laughs> or when I'm open ocean water swimming, which is also super inconvenient. And then I just repeat the idea to myself until I'm at shore. I mean, I've tried to write ideas down in sand. I've tried, <laughs> it's hilarious. But yeah, I mean, I think ideas will come. And you're often your most authentic self when you're outside in nature doing an adventure, whether you're fishing or hiking, or running, or surfing. You're kind of stripped away of all the BS. You're not comparing yourselves to other people. You're your most alive, and you're your most happy. And that is where you make the best decisions. And even science, you know, I talk about it in my book, but there's so much science that supports this. You know, in nature, our nervous systems relax. We're able to make better decisions. Our immunity is boosted. We're calmer. And I definitely believe that's where the best ideas come from. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned the signs a couple of times. What, you know, maybe talk about another sign. So you're on that track, you know, whoever it is and they're, they're they want to do this thing. What, what are those signs that let them know to keep going on that track, whatever that thing is? I think signs are either positive and feel good or they're painful. So for example, when I was really young and wanted to get a job at Vans, I was debating on taking it or not. And I just said out loud, like, universe, give me a sign. And it sounds so cheesy. It's about the cheesiest thing I've done. Right. <laughs> but I looked down and the waiter was wearing a pair of Vans. And I was like, okay, oh, I got it. I see it. There you go. And, you know, there's a girl in my book who's really cool. Her name is Steph Jagger. She was working in Canada at doing PR. She had just bought a house. And she, as a kid, grew up skiing at Whistler. And she was on the chairlift with her friends one weekend talking about how they used to ski and how fun it would be to ski on the weekdays again. She said, what if I could ski around the world? And her friends laughed. And just as she was getting off the chairlift, she saw this sign, literally a sign, and it said, lift your restraining device. Now, it, it referred to the thing that we all see when we're getting off a chairlift at the ski slope. So it's this metal bar you have to lift up over your head and then ski back down. And, and she really took that sign home with her. And she's like, what if I were to lift my own restraining device on my life? You know, what if I were to shutter my job, take out a second mortgage on the house, get sponsors and do this? And um, it took her a year and a half to do it, but she did it. And she ended up breaking the record for most vertical feet skied in a year, met her husband along the way. Several years later, wrote a book about it. Didn't think she was going to. She thought she was going to self-publish it. Her book crushed it. She wrote another book. And um, so I think that's what signs can look like. And I think they can make us feel really good or like they can 
look like traffic. They could look at like fighting with customer service agents on the phone. You know, if you're doing that or you're grabbing a glass of wine every single night and taking a couple extra nips, like those are also signs to pay attention to. Right, right, right. I love this. This is awesome. So, so basically, yeah, there's no, everybody's on their own, you know, their own uh, journey, like we said, but it's more, yeah, just being aware of those signs. That's like the first starting point. Well, to use a fishing example, like one, one time, the one time I went fishing, so lucky I was in Costa Rica and everything just came together flawlessly. My friend's like, do you want to go fishing? Like, maybe you could do a story about it. I was like, sure, let's do it. And these guys took us out. And we dropped our poles in the water. And every time we dropped our poles in the water, we caught like tuna or snapper. It was crazy. We came home with like 15 fish. And we just thought this was normal. And the fishermen were laughing. They were like, this is incredible. And I was like, okay, well, that trip was meant to be. Like everything just worked out. Today's episode is sponsored by Trestle, who has earned an exceptional reputation over the past few years in the fly fishing industry due to the popularity of their telescopic fly rod roof racks and statement-making artist series apparel lines. Their latest release for 2023 is the Jerian Universal Bike Rack Packing System, a brand new way to transport your fly fishing and outdoor gear. The Jerion will give any modern bike the ability to bring 30 pounds of gear with its front and rear articulated racks. Whether you ride a full suspension mountain bike, an e-bike, or even a carbon fiber road bike, the Jerion will get you and your fishing gear further faster and have much more fun along the way. I can tell you this has been a big struggle for me. I've been riding my bike, uh, both road bikes and mountain bikes, and had lots of issues over the years packing my gear, whether that's uh, crappy uh, storage on the back or a trailer that's just too big and bulky. So I'm excited to share this packing system, which is going to make it way more convenient and accessible to get out to the places you need to go. You can learn more about how Trestle is transforming the way you access your favorite water, backcountry hunting zones, and camping spots. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Trestle right now and be the first on the water and the farthest upstream and away from the crowds. That's Trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. Trestle, live your pursuit. So on your book, you mentioned it, The uh, uh, Will to Wild. I, I want to talk about some stories, you know, either from the book and or the podcast. I mean, I know this is always a tough one. I get asked these questions too, you know, your favorite episodes or stuff. And there, there's so many, they're all like favorites. But I mean, do you have a few stories? Did you pick select stories for the book or talk about that? I did. It was hard because, you know, I've interviewed like 250 people on Wild Ideas Worth Living. My favorite people, this sounds biased, but old people. They are my favorite people to interview. Now, what's your definition of old? Because Nine, there's different... Like above 70. Older okay, above people. 70. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So 91 years old my uh, is probably my favorite interview. And she's... Her name is Dr. Edith Eager. She's a psychologist. She survived the Holocaust and her perspective on life was absolutely incredible. And so there's a whole chapter on finding your why. And if you're stuck, this is a perfect segue. It's like you have to have a why for doing something. My why for starting a podcast was so big. One, I wanted my own business. I wanted to make money on my own. I was obsessed with people doing wild ideas. And a why will keep you in the game and show you how, and you'll be able to do anything. But if you don't have a strong why, you're kind of just fluttering around, not knowing what to do. And so Edith talks about that, but she also talks about something that I found interesting when it comes to adventurers. She said, self-love is self-care. 
it's not selfish. And I think a lot of us get a lot of for big adventures and probably taking time off to go fishing or hiking or running or surfing. And, you know, she's like, no, like you get to take care of yourself first. Self-love is selfish. And then, you know, because she had been in Auschwitz, she said, you know, a lot of us have prisons in our own minds and the key, we all have choices. And that key to those choices is often in our pocket. So it's just about making strong choices. She said so many wise things. The other day for the podcast doesn't come out till September, but I got to interview a guy named Lonnie Thompson. And he's one of these OG climatologists. He's a glaciologist. And he takes samples of the the Earth's ice core inside glaciers. And he's kind of like a real life Indiana Jones. And at 70 something with a heart transplant that's been in there for 10 years, he is, or seven years, he's going to the top of these glaciers where he has to climb like 18,000 feet and live there and take ice core samples, which he's doing as fast as he can because the earth is melting. It's pretty wild. But usually older people just have this perspective and calmness. They're not like trying so hard that I find really refreshing. Right. They've already done it. We've we've had a number of 90-year-old and High levels. One of my favorites is every 100 episodes we do, I find the most famous angler, you know, out there. And we've had some big ones. And Joan Wolf is this, you know, she's just this bigger than life person, you know. Wow. Yeah. She's like, I can't, I think she's in her 80s now, maybe even 90s, but she's been there since longer than everybody, you know, and all these stories. And I remember it was just like talking to her. I felt like I was on another planet, you know, and she was telling me, giving me relationship advice and stuff. Oh, it was yes, really, that's the thing. That's what Edith Eager did to me. She was, oh, yeah. she got into the relationship advice and then she said, Shelby, the key to a relationship is a good orgasm. I was like, well, whoa, did wow. not expect that from a 91 year old broad, but right on. There you go. It was so funny. So yeah, I mean, these stories, and I would like to put a few of these out there just so people can know if they're going to pick up the book or your podcast, you know, what they can expect. So yeah, you've got a couple of people that have, you know, older people. I mean, what are some other stories that come to the top for you that you think about, you know, and and that whole part? Because it sounds like you're not choosing all your stories now either. So they just come to you. It's great. It's great because I'm forced to interview people I wouldn't have interviewed in the first place, which has expanded my mind. So in the book, there's these twins that are so hardcore and they paddled on paddle boards with their hands from Alaska to Mexico. And no one had done anything even like that before. So I just thought the way they planned their adventure was pretty impressive. These kids are amazing. There's also a woman in her 50s who hiked across Antarctica with her husband and they became the first married couple that are American to do so unsupported and unaided. And um, she was going through menopause. So that made for some interesting tales of having hot flashes in the Arctic, Antarctica. And I interviewed a guy who biked from Alaska to Mexico, two people. One did it after he'd retired from IBM. And he'd never really ridden a bike with clip-in pedals before. And he did it. And he just has the funniest story and stuff goes wrong. And he encounters bears. And there's another person in my book, who started one of the most famous rock climbing bouldering gyms, at least in my area. There's some in San Diego, some in Seattle, some in New York. And he's just awesome. He did it at 19, having barely any camping experience or any biking experience. And almost at the end of his ride, seven months in, he came up for this idea to start this rock climbing gym. His story is like so fascinating. There's an artist in my book that discovered 
that he wanted to go outside and draw a chalk and like literally became this famous TikTok star and gets paid by big cities from Tokyo to Laguna Beach to like do this amazing chalk art using using features on the street in the city as part of his art. So like a manhole becomes like monster eyes or a cookie. Oh, right. That's cool. It's really cool. Sprinkler heads or eyes. He's, he's just a fascinating dude. I mean, I'm obsessed with every story. There's bird watchers. There's hardcore surfers. Right. Alex Honnold, the famous rock climbers in there. Bethany Hamilton, who's a surfer. So you never had a story. When you get these stories, you never get on. And because I, you know, think about that. You've never had a story that you're like, oh, man, this is going to be boring. <laughs> it, like, it seems like they're, whether it's small scale or big scale, it seems like you like it all. I like it all. I mean, I mean, I've been bored <laughs> yeah. once or twice, but like 99.9% of the time I'm excited. What's the tip? So, and I have my own tips, but so when you're on a podcast, I don't think it happens very often, but when you do get bored, what do you do as a host? I ask them for a story. Like what's the story you tell it at a bar to friends that you tell over and over and over again. And I think stories hook people in. Like I've got my go-to story. I want to hear their go-to story. And your go-to story? My go-to story is in the book, and I'll, I'll just tell it to you. Like, it's in Indonesia. I quit my job. The day I give notice, I get asked to go on a boat trip with, like, 12 guys, and they're going to be the first to stand up paddle. Sorry. They're getting asked to stand up paddle these waves in Indonesia, which are in this place called the Mentawais, which is an archipelago of islands off of Indonesia. We're with this legendary boat captain who's, like, just interviewing him is amazing. The guy's a full real-life pirate. He's discovered all these waves. I'm sure he, there's all stories about his boat that are fascinating. The best surfers in the world have been there. I'm the only girl. And eventually I have to get off the boat and stop saying I'm just a journalist and go surf waves. The problem is, is for the last five years of my life at this time, I've been working at a cube at Vans or an office and I've been going to malls looking at shoes. And so I hadn't been surfing that much. And eventually I had to get off this boat and go surf these waves. And I have a story about I'm with one of the guys that I'm with is this famous stuntman. And he's a big time lifeguard. He's literally linked to Hawaiian royalty. His name is Brian K. Olana. His daughter is actually in this new show on Amazon called Surf Girls. They're a fascinating family. And everything he says is so amazing. And he, he teaches me how to deal with my fear. And then he teaches me how to catch a wave. And I end up catching like this wave in my life. But Every time I fall, I'm scared. And I asked him what to do. And he's like, Shelby, sing a song. Like he gives very simple advice. But the problem is on this boat, they're playing this song over and over. And it's by Don McLean. And it's it's called American Pie. But the problem is, is the lyrics that get stuck in my head are, and this will be the day that I die. <laughs> right. It's like a really bad song to yeah. get stuck. Anyway, so I have a whole story about that. Um, I have a story about paddling down so. Another stand-up, I think as I was like a girl that got stuck on a stand-up paddleboarding trip, I then got asked to go stand-up paddle a remote portion of the Amazon River in Peru, and no one had stand-up paddled this part of the river. And like we didn't know, it wasn't a hard paddle. Like a grandma could do this paddle. It's just standing up on a paddleboard going down the stream. There were a couple little rip waves, but it was like class one, two. It was easy. But we didn't know what was below us, and it was terrifying. And we just encountered all these animals and bugs, and I came and chased our photographer off his paddleboard. 
Yeah. Wow. I don't know. It's a lot of stuff. God. What's a stand-up paddle for those that don't know? And I love the paddleboard. We haven't done a ton of it, but so stand-up meaning that are you just trying to stand up through all white, everything the whole time? And I mean, I imagine you're getting Oh yeah. So, so a stand-up yeah. paddleboard, you know, when you take them on the river, they're inflatable and they're really durable and lightweight and you can just stand on them. They're pretty like sturdy and you paddle down a river, but it's like standing up on a raft. It's really not hard. It's like standing up on a coffee table. Right, right, right. Versus, say, a paddleboard. I mean, the, you hear the stamp, but just a paddleboard itself, or is that a different? Yeah. Sort of- so the boys that paddle on paddleboards, a paddleboard is like an oversized surfboard that you paddle lying down using your hands, like you would a surfboard, or on your knees. So a paddleboard is just the, yeah, you got the big, the surfboards, the surfboard, the big board, and the paddleboard is just a smaller board that you're still kind of like you're surfing. But you're laying, you're standing, you're laying on your uh, stomach surfing waves. A paddleboard, you're actually just paddling using your hands. You're not, it's designed to be bigger than a surfboard and it's shaped kind of almost like a kayak. Oh, gotcha. Okay. It doesn't keep gear inside, but it's pointy at each end um, because it's made to glide through water fast. A stand up paddleboard looks a little bit more like a surfboard. Yeah, yeah, it's bigger. No, I hear you. This is awesome. This is good. This is the stuff. So, yeah, we're, we've been talking about getting a stand-up paddleboard. I just, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we do a lot of boating and uh, it's one of those things where you have certain number of things you can do on any, you know, throughout the year. But I think it's one that we want to get into. Uh, you mentioned a few of these stories. So this is great because the book, we can all follow up if we want to go deeper on it. I'm curious on the guests because this is, a, I think, a struggle for some people as, you know, and me too as a host. You have your guest. Now, how do you do the research, the prep to get ready for that guest? Is that like a long process? Is that something you do or is your team do or how do you do that? I used to do it all and I would just listen or read about them. My team does it now, but I mean, nobody can research for you. (laughs) So I end up going back and listening to podcasts or reading articles. So like, for example, I have Michael Jarvay on, who is a sports psychologist next tomorrow. And so I've been listening to podcasts that he's on and ones that he's done. And I don't know. I just think about what sticks out and what I want to learn from him. And then I'm going to focus on that. Perfect. Yeah. I, on my other podcasts I do, it's like more of a marketing business focus. It could probably similar to maybe some of the stuff you've done in the past, but we had uh, one of the, the person basically that invented podcasting for NPR. Um, Cool. Yeah. And, and I asked him the same question. I said, what is the, the skills you need for, you know, being a good podcaster. And he said, the number one thing is, you know, to be curious, you know, exactly. That's it. Be curious. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. That's makes sense. That's why, you know, I do, I love this and it works well because I'm curious, but that's the number one thing. Like if you, you can't fake it, that's the one thing you can't do in podcasting. You can't go in there and fake it. And it sounds like you are the type of person that you just are curious. You're super interested in about all these topics. So it's easy probably for you. So one thing that comes easy to me. (laughs) Yeah, you're not you're not getting bored that often in the uh, during the podcast. Sounds like so um, good. Well, so talk about so Ari, I'm I'm interested in this because the sponsorship thing I, I think is another um, people get into this and they think I talked I help a lot of podcasters get into podcasting and I think a lot of people don't do it very well. They think of it just as like oh this is a podcast I'm going to make an ad and then somebody's going to give me money. But really, I think podcasting, you got to be able to kind of engage your listeners, right, with the sponsors. I mean, how do you look at that? Is it easy for you? Do you just kind of have REI, they do everything now? Or are you still doing a lot of work thinking about sponsorship and and all that stuff? 
I'm not thinking about sponsorship because REI owns the podcast. So that's kind of on them. But I do think about it for Vitamin Joy and which brands I want to work with. And I actually have helped REI. Like if they, right now we have like a different model, but should we go down the sponsorship route? I have a couple of brands in mind that I think would be cool to work with. Yeah. So you do. So you're still doing, thinking about that a little bit. And I'm always thinking about sponsorship. I think it's like the most fun part about a podcast. You know, so many people would ask me, how, how did you sell your podcast? How do you get it sponsored? And for years as a magazine journalist, you pitch and you sell an article or you starve. Like, And I'd been pitched so many times when I was at Vans. I'd been pitched as a journalist. I had to pitch as a freelancer. So I've been on both sides of the fence. And you know, pitching is like dating. Like, You got to make it good for both parties. And sometimes it's just timing. And sometimes it doesn't work out and you can't take it personally. But when it jives and it fits well, it's it's a relationship and it's super fun. And I don't know, I like the first part about of dating people usually the best. It's so fun just like getting it, you know? So I enjoy going after sponsors and working with them. It's It's exciting. Yeah. How do you keep them coming back? Uh, well, I guess, again, thinking of your other podcast, because that's your newer one. How do you, do you think of like, how do you get these sponsors in to come back year after year? Like maybe you just need a few or, or do you think like, I'm always trying to find new sponsors? If I did it again from scratch, I try to get one main sponsor. I think it's a lot easier than trying to pitch a bunch of sponsors. Yeah. What I tell people, and and I ended up teaching a class on this. I'm only going to offer it till December, but it's it's on demand and it's, basically how to grow and monetize your podcast. But I think asking a pitch, asking for a dollar and asking for a hundred dollars and asking for a thousand dollars, it takes the same amount of breath to ask that question. And so you have to provide value to this other person and their brand. And and it has to be something that they want to do and they want to reach. So if I was a fly fishing podcast, I would go after these companies that really want to reach people who fish. And it would be like the easiest sell to me. And I would just say, hey, do you want to reach a bunch of fishermen with your hooks or whatever, your beverages? And then I would give them a lot more value. You know, I always try to over deliver and under promise. Yep. I agree. And the other thing is, is when you work with these brands, like it's not about you, it's about them. Like they're giving you money. And I think some people a lot of the younger people I work with like expect to get paid. And I'm like, no, like it's their money. I've been on the brand side where we've paid athletes and, you know, the athletes also have to deliver. It's a relationship. Yeah. They could, you know, there's a lot of people grinding at the company in a cube that aren't surfing that would want the same amount of money. And so I always tell people like when you do get money from a sponsor, be super cool to work with. Like say yes and be easy to work with and have fun because they don't have to give you money. Like no one owes you anything. And that's that's a hard one. And I think it was harder for me when I was younger, but I've been on the other side, on the brand side. Like no one owes you anything. We're all really lucky to get to do, if you get to do what you love, you are super lucky. And maybe you made it happen, but there's always some luck involved. And, you know, just be extremely grateful and cool to work with. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. I think the, yeah, on the sponsorship stuff, and we can leave it you know, here is that, 
You know, I mean, it's value. Yeah, you're, you're working with them. I think it's easy to get a sponsor on for a year to make the sale, especially if you're good at sales. But to keep them coming back year after year, that's where you're showing you're delivering on the value because, you know, they see it. So this is good. Um, well, I'm going to take a quick, we're going to, uh, we got a quick little listener shout out segment here in a second I want to do. But before I get into that, we've talked to a few guests. I, and this is always another tough one, but thinking about famous guests, we've had a few people on our podcast that have been really huge uh, famous people, but for you, do you do you look back and say, "Gosh, okay, that episode was unbelievable. I can't believe I did it." And talk about that, or do you just does everybody meld together, and the person you never heard of is equal as the person, the famous person? I don't know. I mean, there's definitely some interviews I've had where I'm like, "That was so energizing," and it and it really came at a good time for me, and I took so much from it. I take something from every single interview, but. I think it's about being around certain people whose energy is really infectious and who are pushing themselves at such a high level that I can't help but push myself. And, you know, there's that famous Jim Rohn quote that you're often the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think what's so cool when you do a podcast is you get to spend time with these people that you might not normally have access to, like Bethany Hamilton, who's this famous surfer, or Alex Honnold, or I even interviewed, and he's also in my book, um, a person named Wynn Wiley, who's also a famous outdoor drag queen named Patty Gonia. And they're pushing themselves at a level for activism that I just couldn't even fathom before. And it feels really good to be around these people that are so focused on what they're doing and so sure of who they are. Like, that's pretty infectious and contagious. Yeah. God, so that's the podcasting. I'm the same way. I, mean, I think you're you're with the adventure sports at another level because you're hearing some. I mean, we hear some of these stories, but not as much. We do a lot of tips and tricks as well. I think that's great. I think people want to take. I think people either want to be entertained or they want to learn. Right. And so, if you can teach people or entertain them, then you're winning. But for me, at this point in my life, like I really want to learn, and I think that's why I really enjoyed the interview with the glaciologist the other day because he was teaching me things about science and our environment that I didn't even know existed. I also recently interviewed the woman um, who wrote the book, The Wave. She wrote a book about dolphins and she just wrote a book about the deep sea. Her name is Susan Casey. She was one time an editor outside. She was the editor of Oprah magazine. And the deep sea, which I didn't know, is like 95% of the sea. And that means it's like, you know, the deepest part of our sea. So nobody ever the, sees it. Yeah, you don't see it. And I had no idea there was like all these underwater canyons and volcanoes oh, yeah. and just all right. these fish that we didn't even know of. And she's gone yep. in submersibles, which are a super hot topic. And she said they're actually really safe. That one was like totally not up to code. So sad, right? But yeah. But she also talked to me about deep sea mining, which I didn't even know about. And it's a disaster and it might start happening in the next couple of months. It's wild. Today's episode is sponsored by Chode Outdoor, legendary comfort and equipment you can trust. Chode insists on the finest material and craftsmanship to assure you have the highest standards of quality. You'll feel in control of the elements in your Chode gear. Every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects. And I have a family connection to Choda over the years. Back in the shop, uh, the old shop, my dad uh, carried Choda, and he wore those proudly with confidence. And now I'm carrying on that tradition supporting Choda. And I'm very excited about the new products coming out this year and working with Choda. 
in 2023. I'm pretty rough in my gear and find myself putting a lot of miles on that gear and being pretty rough on it. So it's good to know that the Chota gear is durable, is bomber, and I don't have to worry about it. And uh, even on those long trips, you know, if you have a blowout, it's not going to be a good situation. So I'm excited to uh, keep digging into this this year. Clean, comfortable, charismatic, and ready for any situation you can throw at it. You can head over right now to Choda Outdoor at wetflyswing.com slash Choda. That's C-H-O-T-A to support this podcast in a great family company right now. Okay, now back to the show. We do, uh, I think think this is a perfect segment. I'm going to do our listener shout out that will segment into the conservation because, you know, for us, conservation is is huge. And I know for you, and I mean, you mentioned Yvonne Chenard, of course, the Patagonia. And it's an interesting time to be because of what's going on with everything. But I want to read, let's do our listener shout out real quick. And then this will take us into my next question. And so Glenn Amore said, he said, uh, Dave, great podcast, been listening since almost the beginning. He lived in Northeast Ohio for 30 years chasing steelhead. Um, he said that he now lives in uh, northern Michigan on the Asabo River and is the origin of Trout Limited. Uh, keep up the great work, Glenn. And I, that got me thinking about Trout Unlimited. So talk about that. Who one of your your sponsors? That's a big conservation group in our area focused on trout. Is there some conservation group you want to highlight um, that uh, that you find important here? That I find important in the outdoors? Yeah, I mean, I know there's so many, but is there one that you really think about a lot that you're involved with, maybe REI is involved with, or, or you know, what's your take just on conservation in general? Because I know there's a lot of groups out there that are doing a lot of great things, just to highlight somebody here. Yeah, I, I did some work with Protect Our Winters, and I think they're doing a lot of great work um, advocating for, you know, at the political level for laws to get made about climate change. I really love what they're doing. Um, snowboarder Jeremy Jones is at the front of it. Donna Burton, uh, Donna Carpenter Burton, the founder of Burton's Burton, is on the board. There's all sorts of amazing athletes. One of the things they talk about is imperfect, being an imperfect advocate, meaning like, you know, you might drive a Prius and you might go get Starbucks and, you know, it's okay. Like, you're not going to be perfect, but you got to do your best. I think we think about climate change and we just get so overwhelmed that we do nothing, you know, do your best. I think that's what it's about. I am actually involved with an organization called Outdoor Outreach and they don't do like necessarily conservation, but they get kids that are at risk or don't necessarily have easy access outdoors and they take them snorkeling, kayaking and surfing. See, I think that's equal. I think that's almost equal, right? Yeah. I think that like when you show someone the outdoors and they do conservation work as part of it, you know, they teach them leave no trace. They do trash cleanups. They do water cleanups and they take them surfing. But I think once you have a relationship with nature, you become invested in wanting to protect nature. And so I've always been, I've been involved with outdoor outreach for over 20 years and they're super important to me. Um, I'm part of a foundation that is able to give them money every year. I've been on the board. I volunteered and I don't know, it's it's just incredible when you can take someone outdoors and show them what else is out there. And there's a kid from Outdoor Outreach in my book, you know, he grew up homeless, living on the streets, went to uh, high school for homeless teens, 
through his high school, he went on a snowboard trip with outdoor outreach and it totally changed his life. After he graduated, he moved to Alta, Utah and, you know, he actually became a sponsored snowboarder and that's part of his life. Like snowboarding is his passion. And he told me something really profound. He's like, you know, it's not about like how you can do nature. It's about having how you choose to have a relationship with nature that becomes really important. Right. God, that's great. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, there's, you know, like for us, I said, this is great. I'll, I'll put links to the show notes to the, both of uh, the things you talked about here on some of the groups. I hadn't heard of those before, so this is great. And so just looking ahead, you know, we've talked about quite a bit here. You know, you mentioned the award-winning podcast. I got to hear that because I think that a lot of people... I think the award was from my mom. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Now tell me about this. Was this a legit thing? Because you don't hear... I know there are podcasting awards out there, right? For like, you know, I think a smart list might have won the award for I don't even know, right? Some, we some we don't have any legit awards. Does it still say that on my bio? Like we oh, have right. like definitely best outdoor podcast. We've gotten that. We've gotten stuff from San Diego. I've gotten all sorts of awards, like best new podcast. God, when we started, we were getting a lot of like awards. Okay. But we've never won like. What are the awards though? I don't even know what the awards. Are. I mean, I know there's like, I, do you know much about that podcast space? Like, Yeah. So actually one of REI, REI has a bunch of other podcasts. One is called Hello Nature. One is called Camp Monsters. And iHeartRadio does like the big podcasting award. And Camp Monsters has been nominated for an iHeartRadio award several times. And those are the big ones. But an iHeartRadio podcast won in that category. I'm like, that's so lame. So I would say that 19, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but it feels like this award system is a little bit rigged. I was also recently nominated for an outdoor podcast award, but you had to vote and put it on Facebook. And I was like, that's BS. That's yeah. just like. Ooh, yeah, Facebook. Yeah. Like I, I, we do we do fate live Facebooks and I get a lot of people like, man, I'm not even on Facebook. This is I've, like- I've got siblings who, um, I got one sibling who worked in Hollywood for a little bit and like. Her friend was one of the people that got to vote on the Oscars. So, you know, when you see that world, you realize it's just a bunch of people who make that decision. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's probably the reason you don't hear much about the podcast awards sort of thing. Yeah. I think more podcasting. A lot of people don't even monetize, right? They do podcasts because they they just enjoy doing the podcast. I think podcasting is like a is often a business card to something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it depends on your, yeah, if you're, I think, depends on what you want to do. If you want to build relationships, doing an interview show is great. If you want to showcase your expertise, probably doing ep- uh, solo episodes is great because people are learning that you're the expert, right? That's kind of, there's a lot of ways to do it, but um, this is good. So I love that we're digging into a little bit of the podcasting and business always because that's great. But talk about, I want to hear a couple of things before we take it out of here. Um, one, just like on journalism and the other is on the TEDx talk, but you have that background in journalism and a lot of people I think come into podcasting. Maybe if they're new, they don't have that. What's your take on, on the journalism, where we're at with it? Cause you hear both sides of it and you know, like the fake news, right? There's all this crazy stuff. What's your take on the status? Like where we're at, are we in a good place right now? Is this an awesome place where we're growing into? <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Or the opposite <laughs> without getting too political, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I kind of exited out of journalism. I was like, oh, you this did, is right. This is kind of weird. I was grew up in like a hard school journalistic, you know, you fact check, you don't insert your opinion. That was my background. And it's like sort of depressing to watch the news. I was like, wow, we were never allowed to do what these people are doing. 
at the same time, I think it's great that we are able to tell stories. I don't know. I have mixed feelings on it. I think, I think as humans, we know and we can feel it when it's the truth. And I think most of us have a high BS barometer and we just have to be more discerning. And if you're someone who tells a story and you're lying, like that comes back as karma. So like, I think you should always tell the truth. And the truth is where the best stories lie. I can always tell if someone's lying to me. Like, I've definitely had subjects in life lie to me. And it's about stupid stuff. And you can tell when they just aren't telling the truth. And it's a bummer. I think the truth is beautiful. And I think when you're real and you're raw and you're honest, like every time I've shared something that's been hard, it's been really cool. I think the cool thing is, is we don't have to have an article in the New York Times to like reach people. We can have our own podcasts. And, you know, the New York Times, obviously I still subscribe to, I still love it. And, um, you know, I worked at CNN, so every now and then I tune in, but I try not to. I think CNN's quite different than when I was there. Uh, Fox News is different than when I was a little kid growing up. Everything is really different. And yeah, I don't know. I, I think the cool thing is if you want information, you can go get it right from the source. If you want to hear from a scientist, sometimes that scientist has their own podcast, like Andrew Huberman, who is a neuroscientist at Stanford and has his own podcast. I think that's what's so cool is that in some ways it's been democratized. And I will say there's a lot of content out there. And I think there's too much right now, which is why I'm not like in a rush to start another podcast or write another book. Like I'm going to give it some time. And if I do my next thing, it's going to be really specific or it's going to be comedy because I think we need more of that in the world. Like humor is actually a really big part of will to wild. I think it's like this key ingredient and tool that you need to have to be an outdoor person. And it's a really underrated tool, but like you are going to fail and like something is going to go wrong when you're on an adventure and you have to learn to be able to laugh at yourself. That is such a huge skill. Yeah, that, that's great. Well, Couple of things. So we mentioned the TEDx. Let, let's go there real quick. What was that like? Because it seems like that's just this giant stage now. You know, how'd that become? How'd that? And then what was it like when you got up there and did your first TEDx? Oh my God. It was so thrilling and nerve wracking and wanting to puke all at the same time. So in San Diego, I've wanted to do a TED talk for years. And there's a big one in San Diego and they had a new person running it and you had to try out. There was like 300 people trying out. There was like 10 really good people in the sports category that made it to the round. And I got a call on New Year's that I got picked. And then for the next six months, I worked with a speaker coach and had these amazing dinners with the other TEDx speakers who were so different than me. Like One was carrying homelessness. One was talking about sex trafficking. Another was had a female birth control pill that was not her. Sorry, she had a female form of birth control that she created that was not a pill it was on demand and it was like a cream that you could use when you were with your partner. I mean, I was just on the stage with such players. And then when it got down to actually presenting at TEDx, it was this beautiful theater in La Jolla in San Diego, California. And I got to go first. And I was happy to go first because I would have been a nervous wreck if I had to wait and watch right. other people go first. But yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty nerve wracking, like How running out it? to stage. How long were you up there? The cool thing is, each talk was only eight minutes. I think I was up there for like 10 minutes total. It's quick. 
Eight minutes. So eight minutes, you're up there. And it, paint the picture. Are you sitting there? Because I haven't been to one. I'm not sitting up there. You are standing in the mill room. There's a TEDx sign behind you. You're on a stage. And there's a theater of like 600 to a couple thousand people right. watching you. All eyes. You got a spotlight on you. And and clapping, right? And they could they could respond, right? There's people who are getting the response. And, and you're trying to do this so that it's on demand and made for video because that's kind of what TEDx is known for. And so it's on YouTube. And I wanted to have like a slide presentation because I knew if I forgot my lines, at least I could kind of like remember by pictures. And so I talked about the power of adventure and I really dug into this concept of awe, which to me is the most incredible emotion that you can't bottle up in a pill. If you could, everybody would take it and it has the best side effects, but it's abundant in nature. Mm. And that an awe is what is, what is awe? Awe is a feeling that happens, you know, a lot in nature. It could happen when you hear a song or you see a baby for the first time or you're with your loved one. But like it happens when you see a dolphin leap, you look up and you see stars or you see an eagle swoop down or you see a fish that jumps out of the water and catches your bait. Or or an osprey diving into the water to catch a fish. Exactly. And it stops you in your track. You often forget about time. If you're in a bad mood before, it goes away immediately. You often feel grateful when you experience awe. You sometimes, as if you look up at the stars, you feel small, but yet more connected to others and the greater world around you. And like I said, if you were in a bad mood, maybe you're stuck in traffic, maybe you had a long day at work, after you experience a moment of awe, you shift immediately. You often soften, you become kinder. You're more full of gratitude. And I think the best part of it is your ability to get out of your own way so you can go pursue your own wild idea without resistance. It immediately increases. And it happens, you know, at vistas, at mountaintops, fishing. It happens so much in nature. And so much of our life is predictable right now. You know, we have apps for everything. We know exactly how the world is going to happen. But like when you go fishing, so much can happen that you could never predict. And it's the same way with all of nature sports. And that's kind of why I'm drawn to it. I went surfing today and I had no idea what the waves were going to be. You didn't look. You didn't, you didn't even look. You just went out. I just went out and they were amazing. And no wave was the same. And there was dolphins and there was like sea creatures below. And I just felt so great after. That's per- yeah, That's perfect. I love that. Well, I think this is good. I think we uh, we definitely have some topics that we'll we'll dig back in. I think to your book and uh, and the podcast. You've got you're going to be tell us how many episodes. What are you coming up to now currently? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. Maybe two something, two fifty, three hundred. Yeah, yeah, you're somewhere in that range. Yeah, so you've got a lot of episodes. And are you going to looking ahead? Do you just see yourself continuing as you look out the rest of this year into? 2024, just same track, just doing the same thing? Or are you always thinking like, how do we tweak this thing to make it, you know, change it up a little bit? I'm always trying to tweak it a little bit. Like I always want to make it a better experience for our listeners. In the production, do you, do you find that the way you do it, that you like, you found a a sweet spot there? Or do you think the production of the podcast will evolve as you go? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of for wild ideas worth living. That's up to REI. I mean, one thing we did this year was we cut the show. So it was like 30 minutes and we just found that people weren't listening for like a full hour, but I have heard that people want a little bit longer. So I don't know. I mean, our attention spans, which is during COVID, we were just so like bombarded with content 
And I think all of us were over it and we just wanted to like know what people were saying. And now I think people might want to go back to like longer format. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we got to play with it. You do. That's part of the numbers thing. I mean, I think that we always listen, try to listen to our listeners, right? And see what they think. And and I've asked that question a lot. And I think that a lot of people say, hey, I don't care how long it is. You know, just we love the content. Make it as long as it has to be. And so I don't have a cutoff on things. I think a Joe Rogan is a good example, right? He's got one of the largest podcasts out there. And I listen to him occasionally. Well, if you listen to a four-hour show, I mean, let's be honest. Like that, That's like a, Joe Rogan is where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to listen for four hours. But unless it was like, I don't know. I mean, it would have to be like Alex Honnold for me to listen for four hours. Well, that's what it is. Yeah, occasionally, or the topic, or you're so, and I can't remember the one I listened to, but I listened to one that was three hours and I broke it up into six different sessions. You know, like, well, that's dri- cool. Right? Driving, yeah. And, and so I find that I think people still, you know, are good. Our episodes are typically right around an hour, give or take. And, but, um, but no, this is great. So it sounds like, yeah, you basically just come in, you get the, the beauty of just being the host and you get to come into work and, and just do these great interviews. And, uh, and that's awesome. What, what do you think, just as we head out of here for, you know, the best place to find, just remind us again, if somebody wants to get your book, um, wants to connect with the podcast, where should we send them? The best place is to go to shelbystanger.com. I've got my podcast. I also do one called Vitamin Joy that I maybe bring back. I'm really interested in the intersection of mental health and adventure, which I kind of cover a lot on through Wild Ideas, but I'm also interested in the intersection of mental health and humor. And my mom's a really, she's like one of the top addiction specialists in the world. And I'm passionate about that topic. I think so many people are struggling right now with anxiety and depression mostly anxiety. It's kind of like the great anxiety right now, not the great depression. I think we're going to look back at this time. People are like, WTF, you know, we've got so much on our plate. I live in Southern California. It's expensive. It's busy. It's flashy. It's beautiful. And um, there's a lot going on. And a lot of people are suffering. And we often don't know the battle people are fighting. And so we have to choose to be kind. We have to choose to love. And that's just a topic I explore on both, but there's some things I want to do. So you can find me, shelbystanger.com. Will to Wild is available everywhere books are sold. Wild Ideas Worth Living is on all podcast platforms. Shelby Stanger is also my Instagram handle. I don't really do the other social media stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm easy to reach. And I really love connecting with other podcasters because I've been so lonely this whole time. And it's, so it's fun to meet these weirdos who are as equally curious <laughs> as me. Right. Like you, Dave. This is so yeah. cool. Thanks for having me on. I was I was a little shocked to hear from you. I'm like, how does this fly fisherman know who I am? So cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, you know, I mean I I've just learned about you more recently, but of course, you know, REI, I think that's the power of having REI on as as your sponsor is that they're so, you know, they're out there, they're everywhere. So they're they're you know, you go into REI, just talk to somebody who was fly fishing and talking about how he was going to REI to get whatever his gear. But yeah, they have everything. They might not have a fly shop in there, but they do have all that gear that gets you outdoor to do a trip, right? They've got everything you need, which is which is pretty awesome. And they're a cool company. Like they yeah, give they so much money away to like good causes. They I support. I mean, they're just they're cool. Like I've worked with a lot of companies because I was a journalist who reported on companies. And REI is just they're kind. You know, they actually like don't email me on the weekends or super late at night. Like, they take off. They respect their employees and their employees' time. 
Opt outside, right? Opt yeah, outside. Yeah, opt outside. Whereas like my my publishers in New York, they're like emailing me at midnight and all sorts of hours oh, of the day. Right. I'm, like, I'm like, you guys need to get a life. Like go hiking, go outside, stop emailing me, go surfing. They're really cool though. I like them. Just different level of work ethic. And so REI, and we mentioned Patagonia, who obviously is a great uh, company doing some great stuff. They're Give awesome. us another on the, another great company for us to check out that you've maybe worked with or know of out there that maybe has uh, s- similar to like, I, I stick with the conservation piece or, you know, anybody out. Is there just so many out there doing great things? Or it seems like, because you hear about some of the negative stuff out there too, but do you feel like there's a lot of great companies doing good stuff there? I think the North Face actually does some good stuff. I mean, I was part of VF when I was at Vans, like, I think they really try to do good work. And, you know, people don't think of them as like a conservation company, but I think they're doing work, good work. I don't know what they're doing, but I really like the beer company, Athletic Brewing, because they don't have alcohol in their beer. And oh, yeah. Adventures and alcohol sometimes go hand in hand. And I think it's really cool for people to explore more outside without alcohol. I think, like, yes. you know, Yes. People are often experimenting with psychedelics right now, but I've been outside in nature and had experiences that felt like I was on psychedelics and I wasn't. Like, I think you can have these really rich experiences outside without drugs or alcohol. I'm not, you know, I'm not sober, but like I, I have a glass of wine or a beer every now and then. But like, you know, addiction is a part of all parts of life. And um, I like companies that are doing that. I have to think about that one. Um, what companies... Do I love? I like Wazelle. There's a couple of running companies that I like. There's two women. There's a, they're owned by the same company. Janji, J-A-N-G-I and Wazelle, O-I-S-E-L-L-E. I think they're doing some cool stuff with like inclusivity and diversity and just showcasing athletes that you might normally see outside. Um, Lululemon sponsors one of my favorite people. And, you know, there's a, there's a brand right by me that I have a lot of friends who work at, uh, it's called Viori, V-U-O-R-I. I don't know what they're doing as far as conservation, but they make cool stuff that get you outside. Um, they make really comfortable athleisure stuff. But yeah, we we do need more companies kind of like doing stuff outside and yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I didn't know about the, the athletic brewing. That's great because I'm actually on a, a beer uh, IPA break too, you know, no, no alcohol challenge, whatever yeah. you want to do. Well, they I have like that- this non-alcoholic IPA that's pretty good. Yeah, I have one. I have I have some in, in right now with me. I'm yeah, so it's it's good. I think uh that's always the thing you get to those places you're on the river which we're which we're heading and you know going back to the old thing you got to realize it's good to change it up sometimes and take a break and you know mix it up a little bit. So this is this is amazing. Dave, um, where are you based? Yeah. So I'm I'm actually in uh Oregon on the coast. Oh, like, cool. Yeah, so about two hours west of Portland. But our podcast, you know, has become a national podcast. So we've got listeners just as, you know, many in New York as we do out here. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, we started we started niched out and then just grew into everything. Our production team is based in Oregon. Oh, nice. Yeah, Puddle Creative. But the coast is really cool. So where on the coast are you? Nehalem. So just basically it's a tiny little town just west of, west of Portland, two hours west of Portland. That's cool. Is there surfing? Oh yeah. Yeah. I got a surfboard. I'm a weak surfer though. So I'm like, I've got a surfboard though. It's one of those things where it's, this is, that, is another, yeah. Is that where like Ben Moon lives? You know him? Oh, you know, it might be. I know Seaside, Oregon is known as a, a serious, there's this wave out there off of the South break. It's this known, it's really local wave, but I think a lot of people around the world know about it. 
Um, so yeah, Seaside does. Yeah, we have some ways. We're, I don't think we're, yeah, we're not at the level of some, but there's definitely people that are hardcore surfers out there. Um, you know who else does good stuff? There's a company called Prana. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. They're totally. local in San Diego, but there's also a company called Toad & Co. They're in Santa Barbara, but they do great stuff, and they actually have really quality gear. Um, I like them a lot. I mean, Patagonia, though, I just went to two events at their store this week. It's an incredible brand, and it's really become even more incredible as the brand has grown, which, you know, a lot of times when brands grow, they water down and not them. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and have they done that just on the, the REI? I, 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 I'm curious about that because the co-op, right? I mean, how have they kept it? Is it just because they are they're the owners or how is that different than any other, say, I don't know, whatever, uh, Bass Pro Shop or something like that that maybe it's more corporate or something? I have no idea how REI does it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Their <laughs> business model is really different than any yeah. other business model I've worked with. I've worked with companies that are licensing brands. I worked with Body Glove. I worked with Vans that was acquired by VF. And Vans is an amazing brand that does yeah, a lot for yeah. skateboarding and surfing. So they're another one that I really believe in. And I would have worked there forever if I could have, if I could have worked from home and didn't have to go to an office. But at the time, that was not an option. And I don't know. I mean, the REI co-op model is really interesting. I mean, it's inclusive. It's, you know, it's pretty interesting. Everybody doesn't own it, but everybody has a part of, yeah, you get your dividend and it just makes you feel like, oh, this is a, a unique thing I don't get from everybody. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I have not, I'm not going to lie, I haven't really paid attention to their business model. Right, just, that's right. I just work with them and I love them. And I know that I've worked with so many companies in the outdoor industry and they're like doing they give their money away. Like yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one more, I just think, cause again, there's a lot of, there's podcasters, people that want to get into podcast. Do you have a tip on like growth? I mean, I'm sure REI does a lot of the growth strategy, but if somebody's thinking like, man, they want to keep growing their show, make it bigger and bigger. And they want to, what do you, what do you tell somebody? Well, I actually resisted this for many years, but I mean, you got to go on other podcasts yourself or work with them or buy an ad with them. And then I actually used to do this gorilla approach that I think worked really well. I would put flyers up in coffee shops and just no one else is doing it. And with QR codes, I think it's smart and it's attractive. I think making a video trailer for your podcast that's like titillating and exciting is really good. There's a girl who just put out this podcast called Old Money Podcast and her video trailer that's on Instagram is so cool. And for my book, I made a video trailer and I was like, you know, this is, I kind of made it look like a little movie. I think that that kind of stuff works. Um, the biggest thing is figure out a way to work with Apple Podcasts if they feature you. You know, it used to, used to be more meaningful, but it still is really meaningful. And the other tip I say is like, if you can get in people's newsletters and have them link to your podcast, that is huge. Yep. Newsletters are powerful. But other people's newsletters, not yours. No, not yours. Exactly. Everybody's heard of you. <laughs> That's right. Those are great tips. Awesome. Well, we'll put all this in the show notes and we'll get a nice uh, blog post to wrap it up around the podcast. And uh, Dave, you're great. I'm yeah. really excited that we connected. I want to talk more. I want to hear about your business and your other business podcasts and more. For sure. All right, Shelby. Well, excited to keep in touch with you and we'll look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Awesome. Well, thank you again for having me. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. 
check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.